Well, good morning. Welcome back for week two of our Give It Up, this, Give it Up sermon series. We're simplifying life. We're focusing on the things that really matter. Again, if you haven't heard uh, the first sermon in this series, I encourage you to go back and at least listen to the first 10 minutes or so. Um, we set up the series and kind of where this series is going. Um, today, though, we're going to talk about words and specifically what Jesus has to say about words and kind of use James' reading that we read earlier in the service as um, a little bit of explanation of what Jesus says. Um, so I'll read the text. This is from Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the gospel of the Lord. You know, words are powerful things. And both the Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview can agree on that. I mean, just think about what the Christian worldview says about words, right? Like the whole world, everything in creation, the Bible says, started with words, God's words, right? He said, let there be and there was. Let there be light. Let there be expanse. Let there be ground. Let there be plants, animals, people, etc. Jesus himself, when he was on earth, said that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the author of the Hebrews, a couple decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, said that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's no secret what the Christian worldview thinks of words. It thinks words are very powerful. But a secular worldview would agree, right? Just think back historically the power of words. Somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., a person who created an entire movement that allowed people of color to have more rights than they ever did before in the United States, just with words. In fact, his, his motto was that he would not use violence at all. He would only use the power of words. And you can see the world that we live in today, at least in this part of the world, where equal rights have been given to people regardless of their skin color. Maybe think back a little further to Martin Luther, the reformer. If you're a Lutheran, you really care about Martin Luther because his 95 theses that he nailed to the castle church door at Wittenberg, they started a movement, a movement called the Protestant Reformation, of which hundreds of millions of people would consider themselves sort of the theological, answer, uh, um, theological offspring of, including us. No violence from Martin Luther, only words that changed the church. Maybe you think of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said this, All I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I can turn the world upside down. And if you know what Nietzsche wrote, much of the way that people view the world today comes from his philosophy. Our current cultural moment says the same thing, doesn't it? We're very concerned with everybody having a voice, right? We need to give a voice to this group of people. Why? Because we believe that words have power. 
This is why we censor people too, right? If somebody writes something on social media or says something in a speech that we don't like, we don't agree with, we say they should retract their statement, maybe be fired, should at least be shamed. Why? Well, we, be, we believe that words have power. Even if they're untrue, even if they're unkind, they still have power. So how thoughtful are you about your words? Because every time you open your mouth, your words are doing something. They have power. They are building up or they are tearing down. We have this saying in English, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It is absolutely untrue. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can break things that sticks and stones could never touch. Words can break things like self-image. Words can bring people to depression. Words can break hearts. Things sticks and stones could never touch. So how thoughtful are you about your words? James was pretty thoughtful about his words when we read his words from chapter 3 of his letter. He said, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Notice what he says. A bit, about that big, can turn a huge animal. A rudder that proportionally is minuscule compared to the, the size of the ship can turn the whole ship. And that little muscle that lives inside your mouth and the air puffs that you put over it can build up or tear down huge things. The presenting problem, if you're taking notes with us in your bulletins today, is that the mouth has power. And all of us are aware of it. All of us would agree on it. But not every one of us is doing something about it. Even though we know how words affect us. Like if we look back on our life and see the amazing things that people have said to us, things that have defined who we are, like the first time somebody said, I love you. Or the first time your boss said, we need you around here. Or maybe when you got that letter from the university that says, we accept you. Or maybe the first time your parents said, I'm proud of you. Those words can, can just change who we think of ourselves to be. But on the opposite side, right, we know that negatively we can speak words that destroy. And I'm sure you can think back to moments in your life when words spoken thoughtlessly, insensitively, destroyed you internally. So every one of us ought to be thoughtful about our words. We ought to think through everything that we say before we say it. We ought to listen more than we speak. But you didn't need me to tell you that. You already knew that. If you've been living in the world and paying attention to other people, you know that words have power. You know that your words have power. You know that everyone's words have power. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go back and, and evaluate every single conversation that you've had and see if you can make up for all the bad conversations, the bad words, the, the bad phrases you've said? 
Are you going to resolve when you walk out that door to start talking more nicely, to being more thoughtful? Jesus says that isn't enough. If you look at what James says, we get a little picture into it, right? He uses the picture of bits in the mouths of horses and rudders on ships. You know what's interesting about bits and rudders? They don't control themselves. Even though they control the ship or control the horse, they don't control themselves. The pilot does, or the jockey does. And in the same way, your tongue, although it is able to build up or destroy big things, it is not autonomous. It does not control itself. Something controls it, and Jesus gives you a little picture into it, doesn't he? He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what's he saying? Whatever is at the core of your being, whatever defines you as a human being, whatever you value most, you are going to talk about it. If you're taking notes with us, that's our next fill in the blank. While the presenting problem may be that the mouth has power and we can't really control it, the underlying problem is that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, Jesus likes to do this, to get down to the root cause of evil in the world. He doesn't just look at the surface, although he, he realizes the surface is evil. He says there's something underlying, something that really needs to change before we can actually deal with the outward actions. Let me give you an illustration of this. What would happen if you drank a little gasoline? If it was a very little amount, probably nothing, right? Maybe you'd feel a little bit sick if it was a decent amount of gasoline. Unless you drank a lot, you probably wouldn't die. But what if you'd started drinking gasoline every day? You'd probably get very sick and probably would eventually die. That's because you know and, and you've seen that what goes into the body affects what comes out of the body. We would say it, you are what you eat, right? And so you don't drink gasoline because you know it's bad for your body. You drink what is healthy for your body, like water or milk or juice. Jesus says words work the same way. That whatever you intake and whatever starts to fill up your heart, that is what is naturally going to come out of your mouth. And in the same way that you could drink a little bit of gasoline and probably hide it, you can hear a couple things that don't agree with what God says and probably be okay. But the more you intake, the more it will fill up your heart and the more it will come out of your mouth. And if you have too much, it'll kill you. So examine yourself. What do you talk most about? Because Jesus says there is a direct correlation between what comes out of your mouth and what is most important in your heart. So is it money? Is it your job? Is it your relationships? Or maybe worst of all, is it yourself? As you think back about what you've talked about the last week or maybe even the last hour, you can start to see a picture of what you value, right? And maybe the most scary thing about this is you can't hide it. Like, you can try your best to hide what's in your heart, 
But the Bible says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and you can't stop it. See, people know. People know what you value. They hear your words. And if you don't think people are listening, then think about the times when people say words to you and you run over them again and again and again in your mind. You go back to the text message and you read it again and again, trying to figure out what are they saying, what do they mean, what are they after. People care and people listen to what you say. And they know. They know what you value. I'll tell you as a pastor in in my counseling sessions, I very often know what the problem is before the person who's sitting across from me tells me because I can hear it. I can hear what they're talking about. I can see what their heart values just by their words. And the kicker is, you can't escape it. (laughs) James says it like this. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Restless, untamable. If you think you can escape the fact that your words betray you every time you open your mouth, you're wrong. He said your words are like a deadly poison, like venom. Like it would be better to have a king cobra latched onto your leg than to let your tongue have free reign. So let's summarize. Your words have power. They are a reflection of what you value in your heart. You cannot hide it from anybody. And worst of all, you know the evil in your heart and you can't escape it. So what do we do? Well, many people would think that the best way is to just reform my language, right? work really hard at changing the words that I say, put extra effort into not gossiping, make sure that I'm, I'm trying to say good things about people to outweigh the bad things that I say about people, make sure that I at least keep my comments private instead of posting them on social media. And while I'll say that that's, that's not terrible, it's not actually going to fix the problem, right? Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you want to change the way you talk, then the last thing you should do is try to change how you talk. The first thing you should do is have your heart changed. That's the way Christianity works, by the way. There are a lot of people who think Christianity is just about reforming your life, about being a better person, being more beneficial to the people around you, living up to the moral standards, being good enough. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about changing the heart. And when the heart is changed, all those things that you care about, they'll change too, but it starts here. It starts with having your heart melted by the grace of God so that you can't help yourself, but let that waterfall that comes from your heart spew out goodness. So how do you get there? Well, you find the solution that James gives us in the text. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he uses two metaphors, right? A water spring and plants. He says that fresh water can't come out of a salt spring and figs can't bear grapes. 
and grapevines can't bear figs. He's pulling on two pictures that Jesus uses, right? In John chapter 7, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And in John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. See, the solution to fixing your words is our last fill-in-the-blank for today. The solution is to know that Jesus is the Word made flesh. See, Jesus is the Word incarnate, is the way we talk about it. He is everything that God has been trying to communicate to you from the beginning in one person. If you look back at the whole scripture, you can see Jesus showing up again and again and again. Let me just give a list of them to you. Adam's bride, Eve, was given to him when his side was opened, right? The rib was taken out of Adam's side. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, who was made his bride when a spear pierced his side and opened him up. Noah was saved from total destruction because he was inside the ark. You were saved from total destruction because you were inside Jesus. Abraham left his home to follow God's call so God could make his children into a great nation. Jesus left his home in heaven to follow God the Father's call so that he could make a great nation of believers. Isaac was almost sacrificed by his father as an offering to God, but Jesus was completely sacrificed by his father as a sin offering for the whole world. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was sold by his brothers, but eventually ascended to the right hand of the Pharaoh in order to forgive his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, but eventually ascended to the right hand of the throne of God in order to make intercession for us. Job was innocent, but God made him suffer in order to defeat Satan. Jesus was innocent and was made to suffer completely by God in order to destroy Satan. Ruth was saved when a man put his livelihood and reputation on the line for her. You were saved when Jesus put his life on the line for you. David took on a giant one-on-one, and his victory meant victory for his whole nation. Jesus went toe-to-toe with death, and his victory means life for you. Esther saved her nation by being willing to be one who would go and plead to the king for the sake of her people. Jesus saved us by being willing to be the one who would plead his own sacrifice to the king of the world. Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish so the men on the boat could be saved. Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth so that you could be saved. This is Jesus, the word made flesh. When you understand that God has been trying to tell you the exact same story again and again and again, which is that the unrighteous are saved by the sacrifice of the innocent, then your words will start to sound like that. It's not enough to know just what Jesus said. You have to know what he did. And you have to know that what he did was fulfill every prophecy that God made with his words so that you could be saved. Your words may not always be faithful, but God's words are always faithful. And they came true in the person of Jesus Christ so that you could be forgiven of all the words that you have said unfaithfully, insensitively, and thoughtlessly. So here's your, here's your takeaway. If the story of Jesus is the core of your being, 
It's the center of your heart. It's the definitive aspect of who you are. Then your words will reflect that. If you're ashamed of the things you've said, go to Jesus. He's faithful. He forgives. In fact, he forgave you earlier in the service through my office as your pastor. But then hear again and again the story of the word made flesh because it will change your heart and your mouth will start to speak what your heart is full of. And yes, this means read the scriptures. Be in your Bible. Be in your Bible more than the one hour we spend here or the one hour we spend in Bible study during the week. Be in your Bible every day. If whether it's five minutes or it's one hour, be hearing God's words, absolutely, because it will start to flow out of your mouth. But if you're not melted in here, by the love that God the Father has for you through Jesus Christ, it will never change you completely. It will only be a band-aid to the issue of your mouth having power and it spewing the evil that's in your heart. You know, a really good way to remember this is accents. You know, we live in such a diverse culture here in Mississauga that we can kind of tell where somebody's from by the accent that they have. You know how they got that accent, right? By listening to the voice of the people who lived around them. And it became so much a part of who they were that they couldn't help themselves. They always sound like that. You know, this is why it's so annoying when, when someone tries to fake an accent. Because <laughs> you know that's not who they are. Don't fake your Christian accent. Don't try to sound like a Christian. Fill yourself up with who God is and what he said and then you'll sound like a Christian. It's bad enough if your pastor can hear your words and diagnose a sin in your heart, but it's a lot worse if the people out there who don't know Christianity hear you faking a Christian accent. So give it up. Give up any part of your Christianity that isn't rooted in the word made flesh any part of what you think about the world that isn't rooted in what Scripture has to say about it. Because anything less is a chance for that mouth to continue to speak what your sinful nature, infected heart is full of. Now my challenge to you, if you haven't done it already, is to get into the devotional plan that we have for Lent from Pastor Aaron Getzinger. I talked about it last week. Spend at least five minutes in that devotional every day during Lent up till Easter. Challenge you to do it. If you don't like devotionals, if you're one of those people, I'm one of those people. I don't particularly like devotionals. I just like reading the scripture. Read the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark focuses more than any of the four Gospels on the last week of Jesus' life. That time that we're celebrating right now in the church here. You can read it. It's only 16 chapters long and you've still got about 30 days. So you can go about half a chapter a day. Do that so that your heart will overflow with the grace of God and it will come out of your mouth so that you bless those who are here and those who know about your Christian faith outside of here. Brothers and sisters, thank God for the word made flesh. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking words of grace to us, for being God's word made flesh. Remind us that your death and your resurrection promises us forgiveness for all our thoughtless words and gives us hope for the future that comes at the end of the world when the resurrection of all flesh will be met with the new heaven and the new earth 
that we get to believe in now because of your word and that we will experience with you someday in person. Amen.